Good morning. It's good to be with you. My name is Jesse Robinson. I'm a pastor here at Trinity. And if you're new to Trinity, I would love to meet you after the service. Just right back there in the, in the foyer. That would be a delight. So we're going to talk about everyone's favorite topic this morning. Weakness. That's right, weakness. We're going to talk about how you are weak. At one level, being a pastor is really about telling people every chance that I get that they're weak. That I'm weak, but Jesus is strong. And I found that we employ different strategies with weakness. Some of you employ what I like to call the Monty Python Black Knight strategy. The Black Knight looks at his amputated arm, and he says, "'Tis but a scratch," right? Some of you are walking around in here, and you need major surgery, and all the while you're touting, it's just a mere flesh wound, right? Others employ what I call the personality strength paradigm. You can cite exactly what Enneagram number you are, as if that's real. Um, <laughs> you can cite what Myers-Briggs uh, you are. You can explain your weaknesses in terms of innate personality. But at times, it seems like you might not actually be owning your weaknesses. Like that you might could change or should change. Others have mastered the social graces to a degree that they can make it look like there are no weaknesses. Manners, fine clothes, a prestigious education, a nice house, an impressive CV can cover a multitude of sins, at least in the eyes of man. You can't hide forever. You see, if there are cracks in the foundation, the house will fall at some point. The truth is that we all struggle with weakness, whether we admit it or not. You should know that I am weak. I suffer from weakness. Some portion of that weakness actually has a medical diagnosis. I have cerebral palsy, a condition in which my muscles are dramatically weakened and my coordination is limited. I'm not just sitting down because I want Trinity to have a cool megachurch vibe. Okay. <laughs> I'm sitting down because I'm weak. It's a, physical weak. it's a visible weakness, mine is. It has marked my reception wherever I go. You see the wary eyes, the confusion about, like, how do I engage you? Like, I, I read that into people's faces as they seek to try to categorize who I am as I walk with a limp. And decades of walking with a limp have actually confirmed that I am not exceptional. You're weak, too, and you know it. And all of us, I think, my more consequential weaknesses are hidden from the naked eye. But they still bubble up at times. You see, out of the heart, the mouth speaks, doesn't it? So at times, you might hear traces of unchecked ambition or anxious insecurity in my voice, prejudiced opinions, impatient judgments, absolute judgments. Name a virtue, and I can cite a corresponding moral weakness that I struggle with. My weakness goes to the very core of who I am. And it's true of you, too. But if you're anything like me, you are loath to admit it, that you're weak. You meet critique with defensiveness, rationalization. 
Have you ever had a spouse or a good friend, a trusted friend, give you some sort of critique? It's like they're trying to get at something, and you're this master defender, right? You just meet them with every kind of defensiveness. Like, yeah, but if you saw it from my side, right? Like, or let me tell you my intentions. Or if you look at it this way, and then 30 minutes in, the spirit says, just chill out. Why are you so defensive? So what do we do with weaknesses? There are whole economies that have risen up against mitigating weakness, right? National weaknesses, corporate weaknesses, personal weakness. What what do we do with it? Well, the title of this sermon series suggests an answer. Our series is entitled Begging Jesus. And we're looking at instances where Jesus is begged of. Whether it's a tax collector begging for mercy or a blind beggar for sight, we found the Lord incredibly sensitive to our begging. In fact, he is profoundly moved by our begging. He is, after all, the one who instructed us to ask and it will be given to you. Why? Because that's who he is. He is a God that loves to give gifts to his children. So we might anticipate a similar response to our begging and weakness. But let's jump into the particulars in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. You can look on in your bulletin, or you can turn in your Bibles or on your smartphone. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I've pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong." This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, I am a weak man of a a weak people. But Lord, we thank you that you meet us in that very weakness. So Lord, would you be strong? Would your word be strong? And would we see Jesus as the strength in every weakness we have? Lord, give us nothing less than him. In Christ's name, amen. So we're first going to address the plight of weakness, the plight of weakness, the plea of weakness, and finally, the power of weakness. So the plight, the plea, and the power of weakness. First, the plight. Before we get there, though, we need to define our terms. What is weakness? The weakness Paul speaks of here is the thorn in the flesh. Now, there's been all number of speculations about what this thorn in the flesh is, but there are three broad categories given for it. Uh, something that could have been a physical disability. One of the most plausible proposals was that something had afflicted his eyes. We know he was blinded on the Damascus Road, and he actually commends the Galatians that they would have given their very eyes to him. Another option that this could have been was maybe it was a relational thorn, like the opposition that Paul constantly faced in the churches. That actually makes the most sense of the context in 2 Corinthians. So it could have been relational. 
Or perhaps it's adorned with some sort of temptation, like Paul had a, a signature sin that he struggled with. But the fact is, we actually don't know what the thorn is. And it's honestly brilliant on Paul, because it means that we can read all our particular weaknesses into his experience, right? In the anonymity, we're invited to, to read our own weaknesses. You see, if he was blind, then most of us could say, well, this just doesn't apply to me, right? But because we don't know, we're invited. The Spirit invites you to see your own weakness into this passage. Now, the term weakness, it connotes limitation, vulnerability, deficiency, frailty. Paul actually uses this same word, weakness, asthenia in the Greek, to refer to human existence itself in 1 Corinthians 15. He says our whole existence is weakness. We are perishable. And don't we know that to be true? Right? All it takes is a couple of cancer cells that you can't see with your eye, and all of a sudden your body turns on itself and death comes quickly. Or a microscopic virus can stop our breath in its tracks. A car could careen into us on the way home from church today, right? We are helpless to protect those we love. Not a few in here have buried their children, and more are sure to follow. Then there's the profound moral weakness we live under, like our natures are bent towards pride, self-sufficiency, self-righteousness. Like the most, when you wake up this morning, your, your basic default is selfishness. What can I get for myself today? Comfort, control. We live under a plight of weakness. Do you feel your weakness? Does it make you squirm a little bit? Now why is Paul, if that's true of weakness, why is Paul boasting in weakness? Why is he boasting? That seems very silly, Paul. Well, let me give you some context. Paul originally planted the church in Corinth on a missionary journey. He was called by God on the Damascus Road to be an apostle, that is, a witness to Christ's resurrection and a preacher of his gospel. So he plants a church in Corinth, and he leaves to go elsewhere to plant churches. That's what he did. But in his absence from Corinth, other apostles arrive or so-called apostles. And they criticize Paul, and they undermine his authority. These apostles claim that they're better than Paul. Paul actually refers to them as super apostles. He kind of mocks them in that. He uses their own language. They're, they're arrogant. They're pompous. In fact, they are gifted preachers. They're, they're rhetoricians, which would have appealed to a city like Corinth. But these Gifted preachers, they critique Paul. They say, you know what? His letters might be formidable, but his bodily presence is weak and his speaking is nothing. Now that's a devastating dig. If you're a preacher, <laughs> like your presence is weak and your sermons stink. <laughs> it's like nothing. Like that's rough. If any of you wrote that of me, like, I would resign the next day. Don't get any, don't get any thoughts. <laughs> but how does Paul respond to this critique? It's really interesting. I don't want you to miss this. Because Paul essentially says, you don't even know the half of it. 
Who is weak and I am not weak? He cries. Let me, Paul says, let me tell you all the ways that I am weak. I have this profound affliction, this thorn in the flesh that I can't shake. Is that how you respond to critique? Like even the most unjust critique holds a seed of truth, doesn't it? Like though they might be mistaken on this particular point, they don't know the half of it. What if they really knew you? How weak, how frail, how selfish you are. You see, Paul meets this critique with this clear-eyed honesty about his insufficiency. And he's, he's even honest. He says, why was this thorn given him? You see that? Look, look down in verse 7. He says, to keep him from being conceited. He says it twice at the beginning and the end of verse 7. Now, Paul, you've got to know that's bad PR, right? That's bad managing philosophy. You're trying to win back the trust of the Corinthians, and you begin by saying, hey, I struggle with pride. But he's honest. He speaks the truth. In 2010, a little-known academic, Brene Brown, gave a TED Talk entitled The Power of Vulnerability. And that talk, The Power of Vulnerability, is one of the five most viewed TED Talks. And its success gave her a celebrity. And do you know why she sold five New York Times best-selling books? Because she sees so clearly into this plight of human weakness. She calls it vulnerability, weakness. And her research has confirmed that those who are vulnerable, those who admit that they are weak, are actually happier, kinder people. And honestly, anecdotally, I, I have to agree with her. <laughs> she makes this astute observation that vulnerability, that is the open acknowledgement of weakness to others, is both truth and strength. She says, quote, Vulnerability sounds like truth and feels like courage. Truth and courage aren't always comfortable, but they're never weakness. There's an irony in what she's saying. She's saying, actually, to confess weakness is this act of strength. And Paul is doing the exact same thing. He's saying, you don't know the half of it. I am weak more than you could know. You see, each of us live under a plight of weakness. That is the truth. And rather than hiding his weakness in shame, denying it, ignoring it, resigning to it, Paul speaks the truth about his own personal plight of weakness. Do you? Do you? Not just in generality, but in specificity and particularity. Do people know that you know that you're weak? Let's look at the plea of weakness. So what do we do with our weakness? We acknowledge it, Paul says, but you must know that it matters very deeply who we acknowledge it to. And here's where Brene Brown is unhelpful. You see, she sees the human condition of weakness so clearly, like she sees it. And yet vulnerability for her is purely horizontal. There is no vertical, which is a pity, because she sees so clearly that vulnerability is what leads to connection. But she doesn't see that the most important connection is actually to God. That there is a God who invites us to be vulnerable with him. It's called repentance. It's called confession. And what does Paul do with his weakness? 
he actually turns to the Lord and pleads with him. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Now, why does he plead with the Lord? Because he knows that God answers and hears him, that he heals and removes sickness and weakness. There's a story in 2 Kings about King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah, he gets deathly sick. And the prophet Isaiah visits him and says, hey, you need to get ready to die. It's coming for you. And immediately he turns and prays, pleading with the Lord to remember his earnest love for him. And the Lord grants Hezekiah this miraculous recovery and gives him 15 more years of life. You see, we plead with the Lord because he is the sovereign king. He is the giver of life. He can grant what we ask. He's all-powerful. We plead because God's providence to us is profoundly merciful. And this actually gets at a major difference between Christian faith and Stoicism, a predominant philosophical option in Corinth. You see, the Stoics believed that nature followed certain immutable laws and that everything was predetermined. So to live a virtuous life, then, was to submit oneself to faith. That's all you could do. Listen to how one Stoic philosopher put it. He said, a Stoic of virtue would amend his will to suit the world, and he would be, quote, sick and be happy, in peril and yet happy, dying and yet happy, in exile and happy, in disgrace and happy. In other words, the Stoic said, whatever you are in, you can choose to be happy by aligning your will with the universe. Now, why am I talking about Stoicism? I don't think any of you maybe struggle with Stoicism. But you know what I think the predominant religious alternative to Christianity is in America? I actually think it's some version of Stoicism. That's what positive psychology is, right? You see, if you make up your mind to be happy, you will be. Practice mindfulness until you are happy. But Christianity is radically different because we believe in a personal God, that God intervenes. I don't know if you know the Nick Cave lyric. Manchester Orchestra also has this lyric. It says, I don't believe in an interventionist God, but we do. We believe in an interventionist God who breaks into human affairs. In fact, God is the one who writes all of human history. And so he invites us to plead with him in whatever we are going through, whatever suffering, whatever even plight of sin, he invites us to come to him and to plead with him. He actually says that it, it's a means of pleasure for him. He delights in this pleading, even of worship. We come, what are we to do with weakness? We plead with the Lord about it because it, he loves us and he enjoys it. The Psalms, over and over, it gives us this liturgy of pleading. Listen to Psalm 6-4. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Or Psalm 25. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Or Psalm 61, hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Do you see? Do you hear? This is what faith is. Faith pleads with the Lord. Why? Because it knows who God is. 
and our pleading is actually a form of worship. Did you hear how the psalmist was saying, your love is steadfast, O oh God. That's why I want you to work to save me. I know that you are good and gracious, so will you please save me? That, our pleading, is actually a way of worship. Now, how does God actually answer Paul? Let's look at the fi- our final point, the power of weakness. The power of weakness. At first glance, the Lord's answer seems like a no. But let's look closer. Verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The Lord answers his plea with grace. The Lord gives grace and power. He says, I will not take your weakness away, but I will give you grace in the very midst of it. And not only grace, but also power. And this answer, this answer gives us a key that unlocks the meaning of the whole Bible. What do I mean by that? Well, the whole Bible is a story of God's power being made perfect, being fulfilled in profound human weakness. The story of Israel begins with a hundred-year-old man and his barren wife. And God comes to them and says, Hey, you know your barrenness? I'm going to make you a multitude of nations. You'll have so many kids, more than the stars. That's absurd. It's absurd, right? God's power in infertility. Or take... Moses, the stutterer, he becomes the principal mouthpiece of God. In the weakness of speech, the power of God. We're on the banks of the promised land. Israel is about to go into the promised land. And you know what God says to them? He says, I didn't choose you, Israel, out of all the peoples because you're the most numerous. For you are the fewest. How about that? Like he is marrying his bride and he says, I didn't pick you because you're the most beautiful. I picked you because I wanted to display my love and grace and power in your very weakness. That's who our God is. And it is story after story. This is what the scriptures are about. It is about the God who is the God of weakness. He is the God of weakness. He is the God in weakness. Why? Why does God reveal himself in human weakness? Well, Paul actually told the Corinthians why in a former letter. In 1 Corinthians 1, he pulls a God move, and he says, hey, not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you are powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Why? In 129, he says, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. In other words, when we are weak, God alone gets the glory. Amen? When we are weak, there's no ambiguity as to who is at work. You see, we love to take credit for everything. I love to take credit. I can manipulate even an offhanded, like, critique and spin it in a way that makes me feel good. We love to take credit, but when we are weak, 
God loves to show his strength because then he alone gets the glory. It is in our weakness that we most recognize our need for God's grace. And remember, he is a God who's gracious and merciful. And so the Lord answers Paul and he says, I will meet you in this weakness with sufficient grace to empower you through it. So what does Paul do with his weakness? He offers it up to the Lord in prayer. And the Lord transforms it into a means of grace. So I want you to imagine you've got a bowl. Your weakness is like a bowl. It's broken. It's shattered. Shattered into so many pieces. And so you bring that weakness, your bowl, to the Lord and say, please fix this. And the Lord says, no. But there's this piece of the bowl. It's the top edge. There's no curve to it. It can't even hold any liquid. No rim. And yet the Lord says, when you hold that piece up to me, I'm going to pour out my grace upon it. In fact, I'll pour out grace, so much grace, that it will overflow. And it will spill over. So like anointing oil or the baptism waters that are poured over your hair, that grace will run down your forehead, down your cheeks. Like, that's what I'm going to do. Even though this is broken, I'm going to pour out my grace over all of you. That is what he does in weakness. When we come to the Lord with our weakness, he pours his grace out on us because he loves us. That's what we do with our weakness. We consecrate it to the Lord with prayer so that it becomes a means of grace, so that it actually becomes a means of power. You see, vulnerability has no power in and of itself. In fact, I know a lot of vulnerable people who are as narcissistic as anyone. It's no comment on you. (laughs) It is only in the Lord that our weakness is blessed by a power not of this world. But in the Lord, we can learn to thank God even for our weakness. Why? Because that weakness actually becomes a means of God's grace, of communion with him. Fanny J. Crosby was an American mission worker. And she wrote, she's a prolific hymnist, writing more than 8,000 hymns and gospel songs. And yet she was blind. She was blind. And many would say she was alive during this this intense healing movement in the late 1800s. And so healing was on the American church's mind, and yet she said, she said this, quote, if I had a choice, I would still choose to remain blind. For when I die, the first face I will ever see will be the face of my blessed Savior. That's faith. That's power. You hear that power. All I want is Jesus. That's who I want to see. That's what weakness does to us. It clarifies our thought. It clarifies our priorities. That we might know and see what is truly important. Friends, our weakness can be transformed into a means of grace. A means of grace. A means of fellowshipping with the Lord. Now, Paul actually ends with two applications for us regarding weakness. And we see these in verse, the last part of verse 9 and 10. The first is a holy shamelessness. A holy shamelessness. So not only do we hold up our weakness to the Lord, but also to each other. 
Do you notice that he's saying, therefore, he says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly my weaknesses, so the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, the language here is remarkable. Part of it, Paul is pushing back at these super apostles who are boasting. He's saying, you know what? Boasting is ridiculous. It's a stupid activity. And yet, if we're going to do this, I'm going to boast in my weakness. Why? Because that shows the glory and power of God. And he, this is public. He, and he does boast in his weakness. He tells all the ridiculous things that have happened to him. In fact, right before our passage, he says, one time I was let down out of a city through a window in a wall in a basket. That's absurd. An apostle of God being let down in a basket. What I'm saying is that we actually are called to this holy shamelessness, this boasting in our weakness. And what that means is that we actually have to let other people know how we are weak. Not everyone, but some people need, in our life need to know how we are weak, like in concrete form. And Paul has, he says that when I boast, all the more in my weaknesses, he says when I boast in weakness, the power of Christ actually comes down on me. That's this imagery from the temple. When the spirit and the presence of God came down onto the temple, he says, you know what? When I actually speak my weaknesses out loud to other people, like the presence of God comes and I have this incredible power. Remember for Paul, this is a spiritual law that God's power is made per perfect, is fulfilled in weakness. And why is this a law? Because what is at the very heart of human history? The death of Jesus Christ. You see, God is not only the God of the weak. He is the God who became weak in Jesus. He put on flesh. That fleshly existence that Paul characterized as weak, as corruptible, as perishable. And Jesus, who is God, put on weakness. And not only that, he died the most weak, foolish way that you could. The public death of a sinner. The execution of the cross. Paul will say in the very next chapter of 2 Corinthians, he says, For he, that is Jesus, was crucified in weakness, but now he lives by the power of God. You see, at the very heart of reality, Jesus has transformed all values. That to be weak in Christ is actually to be strong because it demonstrates, it's like when you are weak, people can see the cross of Jesus in you. When you are weak and you, are, you allow the power of God to work in you, they see Jesus' cross. Finally, this holy shamelessness, this let me tell you how I really am, that you might see God's power. Finally, God's power and weakness produces a radical commitment, a contentment. Look at verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Now, I have to say that after that list, those are not good. Those are not things I like. You? Like, I'm not really in the mood for a lot of insults. Um, I'm not, I don't like hardship. I like, to, I like to give up pretty quick. He says, I am content. Because I know that when I am experiencing these things, when I am weak, that Jesus is strong. I want to end with just a very quick story. Johnny Erickson Tata, when she was a teenager, she jumped 
in a lake. She landed on her head. In the next couple of months, she was diagnosed with quadriplegia. Okay, no use of her four limbs. Her four limbs. She writes this in a book called Johnny. She's written uh, many, many books now. And yet she says, in this book, Johnny, it's her wrestling with the Lord. It's her wrestling with his weakness. Like, who are you, Lord? And she actually says that that her weakness actually becomes the means by which she knows Jesus the clearest. And she says this. She says, my weakness, that is my quadriplegia, is my greatest asset. That's incredible. My quadriplegia, my weakness, is my greatest asset because it forces me into the arms of Christ every single morning when I get up. She says, deny your weakness and you will never realize God's strength in you. Trinity, there are so many temptations for us to take confidence in our flesh, in our worldly power, in our positions, in our competencies, in our talents, in our beauty. But friends, that is not the way of Jesus. We're actually called into a God who loves us so much that he wants us to be weak because it's who we truly are. He promises that when we are weak, he is strong. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we despise weakness. But thank you that you do not. Thank you that you delight when we humble ourselves before you. So Lord, would you make us a people who are not afraid of weakness? And yet, would you redeem our weaknesses? Would we not be weak as the world is weak? Would we be weak for the sake of Jesus? Because of his love and his mercy and grace, we pray this in Christ's holy name.